how do we get the economy moving again and how do we support that from a testing perspective? How do we get kids back to school? And the scope of the testing that we can provide and support is much, much bigger, but we can support that because resources aren't as finite. What if faster and earlier detection of disease was possible? What would this mean for us in the world? According to the American Cancer Society, if you're diagnosed with breast, melanoma, or prostate cancer early, survival rates are 99%. But if you're diagnosed late, survival rates fall to 20 to 30%. Early diagnosis is critical. A future of earlier diagnosis exists. When caught and addressed early, diseases, cancers, and all the risk factors that lead to them can be identified and stopped. One company is on a mission to build that future, so you and your loved ones can take back agency over your own health. Today, I sit down with Peter Foley, the founder and CEO of Let's Get Checked, a leading health insights company that grants consumers direct access to testing options and clinical services from home. They're helping make early diagnosis possible at scale. In today's interview, Peter shares how his personal experience facing an unexpected diagnosis put everything into his life into perspective. It also illuminated problems in our current healthcare system, obstacles that his current company is now solving. Peter shares with us how this inspired the founding of Let's Get Checked. He also talks about the evolution of the company and how they're currently tackling the COVID crisis head on. We also dive into company building, where Peter shares some of the struggles he faced early on and how he's scaling and building the company today. Taking care of you starts with you. And on this episode of Hidden in Plain Sight, Peter shares how with the right tools, that's becoming easier than ever. Enjoy today's episode of Hidden in Plain Sight with Peter Foley. Let's jump in. This season of Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you exclusively by our friends at Splunk, the data to everything platform. Splunk helps organizations worldwide turn data into doing. It's time for data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Learn more at splunk.com or by clicking the link in our show notes. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you're calling in from Dublin, Ireland, and you're the founder of Let's Get Checked. I'd love to hear about the start of your story. You got started in Ireland. Uh, Walk us back there. Tell us what the origins were like. Started the company about five years ago now. And even back then, I suppose the idea was always the same. Allow people or consumers to access diagnostics in the home. Um, I suppose the, the reason for it is growing up, um, I think, you know, everyone's had people in their family who've probably died too young um, you know, detecting late stage prostate cancer or colon cancer or someone keeling over from a heart attack probably before they should. And a lot of these things are totally avoidable, um, but it's just too difficult to get testing and get the information that you need to um, change habits or lifestyles uh, to kind of help yourself live that bit longer. So I think that that's always been the driver for me. This type of testing and screening should just be part of your, your day-to-day life. Um, you shouldn't have to think about it. Uh, it should just be part of what you do and you do it in the home when there's an issue um, someone helps you. So um, we built our whole business model and thesis around that um, of one hand enabling the testing and someone does it themselves in the home without thinking about it. And then providing those results directly into a, the patient's mobile application or the consumer's mobile application, and, but providing support if they need it. So if there's nothing wrong, there's nothing to talk about. We'll still talk to you, but 
if there's nothing to talk about, it should be fine. But if there is a problem, we'll help out. Um, and there's different levels of what help might look like. But um, that's the kind of driver of, of where we started and why we started. And it's really just grown from there. Sure. And you brought up a number of important points there. The one I wanted to zero in on is, you know, the number of challenges, diseases, disorders, maladies that people go through that are treatable if they're only detected earlier. So is there any data you like to cite or are there any statistics about how many of these challenges are treatable if detected earlier? One standout, it's pretty much across the board. Um, if, you, if you catch stage one bowel cancer, you survive. Simple as that. Um, if you catch stage four bowel cancer, you're not surviving or probably won't survive. So without getting into the, the statistical nuances, like just at a, at a very high level, it's, it's literally life and death. And you can apply that across the board, whether it's cancers or uh, severe chronic disease states. It's, um, it's a pretty simple rule to apply. You catch it early and you're okay. You can maintain it and manage it. Um, but the one that I suppose that would stand out for me is, yeah, um, bowel cancer. It's just uh, so avoidable, so treatable. And um, unfortunately, people catch it late in the day. Right. And this whole mentality of going to the doctors and, you know, looking elsewhere for help, it kind of takes us away from this reality that we all have agency over our own health. And we can, thanks to telemedicine, thanks to Let's Get Checked and other services, we can just take it in our own hands to get checked. So when you were starting the company, was this a kind of different idea? Did people cringe at it? Did they think it was weird that you would get tested on your own? Uh, or did you find a lot of support early on where people just said, oh, this is obvious, like I'm going to get tested? There was also the side of it of, um, like I would have played a ton of sport and the idea of optimizing your health as well is just a, a huge element of this too. Um, like there's many different users of our system, whether it's somebody who's tracking from a, an, an athletic standpoint and optimizing their health or someone with a chronic disease state or someone who just needs to screen regularly because of a, a family history. Um, but you know, when, when we started out and you're bootstrapping it and you don't have a ton of cash to, to do what you want to do, you have to be turbo focused. And in the early days, we had to start off, or I started it off as a, a sexual health testing service because you build a platform and then you need to establish the hypothesis of will someone actually test in the home at all? Because like you can have the greatest idea in the world and you think it's brilliant and everyone thinks it's brilliant, but you bring it to market and then just nobody uses it. So <laughs> You need to um, right. you need to maybe go down roads that you wouldn't necessarily want to go uh, to, I suppose, prove things out. And we started off because of that, of being turbo focused. What do we think people will definitely do in the home because they don't want to go to a doctor's office? And we picked the topic that has a, a ton of stigma around it and where people really don't want to go to the doctor's offices, typically around STDs. So we started there and um, it worked. Um, but what that gave us was something to point to, something to demonstrate that the, the service, even from an operational standpoint, was effective. Uh, and it gave us then that platform to start diversifying in terms of what we do and what we offer. But for us, even not, you know, in the early days to mid days, we, we were regarded as a, an STD testing company. <laughs> and uh, it took a long time, I suppose, of branching out, providing different services um, to shake that or, or be recognized for doing more than that. But yeah, like uh, I think to go back to your original question, we got a lot of support. And I, I think one of the questions, you know, when we started off, particularly in the VC community is doctors will hate this. 
doctors won't want you ta- doing testing or letting patients test or consumers test. And it was quite the opposite. You're giving people the information they need. And then when they go to a physician's office or a doctor's office, they've actually got the information on hand for a physician to make a decision. So um, we, we've, one of, I suppose, the surprising elements is the, the level of support um, that we've got within the medical community because of the, the benefits that it drives. And because I suppose primarily around the aftercare piece of we've got nurse practitioners and we've got physicians on our own platform that can tie in with that person's PCP and provide additional context around the results as well. So, um, but no, to, to answer your question, um, we, we got nothing but support um, because ultimately what we're doing is a good thing um, and it's a good reason to get out of bed every day. Completely agree with that. And you mentioned something interesting about getting started in that uh, area around STDs and sexual health. When you got started there, it's obviously an arduous process convincing other people that you can branch out, that you're, you know, way more than just this. What was that process like? Because I know it can get exhausting when you're continually telling a story or telling a new story about where the company's going, how it's branching out. How did you kind of get over those hurdles and recreate the brand uh, as this entire full health and wellness uh, company? Um, I think we were operationally set up for it pretty early on. And I think it was just a matter of time. So um, we started in Ireland and, and Ireland's still a, an amazing and important part of our story. Um, but it, it allowed us in a smaller market to test things out. So rather than offering it to the, the whole of the United States, we were able to do a uh, test things in a, in a smaller market. And that allowed us to test a lot of these things, particularly around the, the STD testing profile of the business. But by the time we, we launched into the US and we set up our manufacturing and we, we, we developed out our lab element and our big partnerships, um, the business was a bit more mature at that stage. So we were able to launch kind of from the get-go a much more diversified uh, product offering and range and additional services around what we do, like e-prescribing. E-prescribing is the core part of our service so that we can treat people at the end off the back of a diagnostic. So uh, I think what it enabled us to, and I hope I'm answering your question here, but by starting in a, a slightly smaller market and, and being able to test out you know, some of your, your theories and develop out the, the process flows and operational requirements, in a smaller market, it allowed us to launch into the US with a, a much more diversified uh, offering uh, from the beginning. So maybe that um, labeling of being a, an STD testing business alone wasn't quite there um, because when we launched in the US, we were a little bit more mature than what we would have been when we first launched in Ireland. Right. And I think I'd love to drill down a little bit on your own personal story, right? Because you went through something that was really challenging when you were around 16. And that type of personal experience, you know, obviously has shaped the culture of the company and your mission. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear more about your story. And it sounds incredibly frustrating, um, but also like it sparked uh, a lot of the company ideas. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think it kind of goes back to that original uh, point of, um, it's a frustrating process when you need to get a, a diagnostic and you can't. So yeah, no, I was uh, I was uh, playing rugby at the time and uh, got a kick in the balls <laughs> and uh, thought that that's what was wrong um, and went around in, in quite a bit of pain for a long period of time. Uh, went into the hospital, told me there was nothing wrong with me, went on for months and months again after that, still going back in and eventually got a scan. Uh, long story short, then found out that I had a lump which was 
basically testicular cancer. But I was super lucky that it was still quite early. Um, but that, that frustration, I think, was drilled into me from an early age. Um, I just couldn't get over how stupid the whole process was. Like, it was literally down to a single person making a decision to give somebody a scan or not. Uh, and just not give, making that decision to give someone a scan. So you're, you're totally out of control. Uh, and you're totally reliant on someone else making that decision for you, um, which I just think is madness. And that probably from a, a very early age uh, helped me shape probably the what, what formed the business. And then, you know, the, there's no one single event, I would say, um, that brings people to kind of do what they do. It, it's uh, And in this case, it's no different. I don't think it was that one event that um, drove me to think let's get checked is a, is a good business idea or is something people need it it's a it's a series of events that happen over the course of a lifetime where you see the same thing in repeat um, and then i suppose the repetition adds up and then you get your light bulb moment <laughs> maybe it's not a light bulb moment but um yeah you get the idea sure so you've got the idea it's appearing again and again in the stories you're hearing around you and what you're seeing you're studying law and business at college. Uh, at what point did you decide to take the leap and start the company? Was this like always in the background that, you know, a company was in your future or did you just uh, start it one day? What was that like? I think when I, yeah, like I, I would have finished my master's. I went and did a, a graduate program kind of in corporate banking and banking. Like it's a three-year program that take you two different aspects. And I think personally, even outside of the, the I, the idea side of it, I just was never suited to uh, going and sitting at a desk every day and, and working in that kind of office environment. Uh, it just it just never sat well with me. Um, and coming in and working for somebody um, and not being able to been able to think creatively and then been able to apply it. Um, so I remember after I finished that, or after I finished that, I went uh, to Canada uh, for uh, six months. Uh, to do a ski season um, up in Banff, working on as a lifty, <laughs> and that was uh, that was very different. And then went traveling by myself through um, Central America for for six months. So I, I essentially took a year out uh, after doing my graduate program. And then off the back of that was like, look, I can't go back into another office job. I know I've wanted to do this for a very long time, and I knew what the the core idea around let's get checked was, and I just started from there. So. Um, it was, uh, it was coming, it was after coming back from a bit of travel, I suppose. Sure. And when you were coming back, you know, you mentioned bootstrapping earlier. Was that your go-to angle? Um, what were some of the early days like leading up to, you know, your first sales, uh, some of your first inflection points as a company? What were those? In the early days, it's a, it's a pen and paper, you know, you're, you're jotting down a, a business a specification document of, of how the process should work. And then you're, you're figuring it out from there. You're borrowing money from everywhere, from family. You're like, we were hiring engineers to try and build out the, the original prototype and got a bunch of developers in, in the UK, got my first laboratory contract. Uh, and then it just kind of went from there. Our first market, would you believe was the UK? Uh, and that allowed us, once we got a bit of traction, off a, really a sexual health-driven uh, service to raise our first million dollars out of Switzerland. Uh, and from there, with that first million dollars, we just rebuilt the whole platform. Um, Mike, our, our CTO, joined uh, Mike's phenomenal engineer, 
and Roman, our, our COO, came on board and we, we just said, look, this is a prototype, let's rebuild it and let's build it how we would want it to be into the future. So we built it with the idea of, of scaling it from the get-go and with the idea of vertically integrating everywhere. So at the core of the idea is that there's this platform that links a patient on one side uh, and a laboratory on the other and this technology stack in the middle. But we said, look, to do this properly, we can't just be the that core platform. We need to do the manufacturing. We need to provide the clinical services. We need to do the e-prescribing. We need to do the laboratory service. And we built out the whole platform and specced it out from the beginning with, with that particular mindset. So um, an inflection point or a point where it was the real beginning, I think, was when we raised that first million dollars after establishing that the original platform worked and then we rebuilt it from there. Were you a solo founder at that point or did were Mike and uh, Ronan kind of orbiting? What was that process like of team building? Yeah, so it would have been the the original prototype was just uh, <laughs> it was me by myself, um, and then the both uh, Mike and Ronan came in probably after that first twelve months, um, and then we we drove that platform on a bit further, raised our capital, uh, and then set out with this this kind of with the rebuild. Um, so yeah, they were. I would still consider them the both of the, those guys um, a part of the founding team. Sure. So we're in the story now, it's around 2016 or so, you're in the UK, you're in Ireland. How do you start branching out from there and going global? Uh, obviously, when it comes to the medical markets, there's regulation, there's you know the FDA, if you wanna get into America. How are you thinking about kind of jumping over some of those hurdles and turning this into the global business that it is today? I think if we knew all the things that we had to do, we would never have done it. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a case of ignorance is bliss and you're young and you're, you're uh, just hungry. Um, so look, I think one of the things about being from Ireland is you're on an island and your market's so small, you have to look out from the get-go. You have to figure out which markets you want to go after if you, if you want to grow or if you have global aspirations. So and we, we, from the very first day, said we, we wanted to do the U.S. Um, and there was nothing sophisticated about it. Uh, we, we just traveled to the U.S. We pitched the idea. And we were over there the whole time and probably spending money we didn't have. Um, but we, we just through sheer will, we got some great contracts. We developed some brilliant lab partners. Uh, we got some absolutely phenomenal regulatory people involved. Um, from the early day, we just, the stars aligned uh, and we got some traction um, and that allowed us to, to raise our, our series A investment rounds uh, in the US that was led by um, uh, Optum and uh, Chi Ming Venture Partners. So that was kind of the, the starting point, I think. Sure. And would you say that the series A helped, you know, obviously it proved the concept and gave you all, you know, much greater source of capital. Um, was that, did that feel inevitable? Did that feel like just the next step in the process? Um, what was that like for you and the team? Yeah, it was, uh, I think to do our, our first kind of large round um, uh, in the United States after kind of the early success that we had. Um, yeah, like it, it's obviously an incredibly important moment. It's like you, uh, cash or funding is like lifeblood um, at that stage. And it always is. but. I think to get uh, backed by 
a group as sophisticated as uh, Optum Ventures and also Qingming Venture Partners, like two kind of top tier like healthcare uh, VCs, um, really gave us the stamp of approval and it was a really good signal to the market and a really critical point, I think, in the life cycle and journey of the company to get both of those groups in a, at such an early stage. Um, and we're very lucky to have got them and um, provided us a, a real platform and both organizations, the board seats that they've occupied, we've just got phenomenal guidance and um, support along the way as we've gone through our, our B and our C. How is that reliance on uh, partnerships or maybe reliance is the wrong word? How is that, you know, trusting in your partners paid off for you and the business? And as a CEO, what's that process been like for you of learning when to take advice, when not to take advice? How have you thought about that? I think we were we were very fortunate even after a series B or A to in our series B um we got uh, we took in money from uh transformation capital uh in our C Illumina Ventures Deerfield and each of these groups have have uh, just added such tremendous value. Um, like one of the things around our COO would say, look, it's free to talk, you know, and and to take advice. And I don't think you can ever take enough of it. But um, yeah, like our our shareholders and our board and everyone who's been involved in the organisation, we've been very fortunate that there's just been absolute alignment the whole way through. We, we've never had a a difficult incident. Uh, at a board level or someone that we were told was pulling in a different direction. And yeah, look, we're, we're super lucky. Um, but we, we've always kind of lent on those resources um, and taken advice when it's needed. And they've always been there to give advice. So um, you don't know everything <laughs> yourself. And sure, it's just so important to have people that have not just been a VC, but have been operational, you know, like uh, actually run businesses and been successful at a business. Um, and I think that's kind of a key thing that you always need to look at who you're taking money off. Like, is it just money or is it money that's really going to help you scale, grow your business, mature your business, help you uh, grow out your management team um, and, you know, really add value. Uh, and I think that's definitely something that we've looked at as we've tried to raise capital is how can these people add value to our organization and, and will they help us scale it and take us to the next level? And in each case, we can safely say that they have. Well, it's very exciting. The company is well capitalized. It's, you know, you're entering this storm of COVID, which obviously has been, you know, a really important for the business and for healthcare and for telemedicine. So when COVID hit, tell us a little bit about that and how you adjusted your leadership team, the company, uh, to really get behind the crisis and start supporting? We didn't adjust our leadership team now per se, but it was definitely an adjustment in direction. From a lab side and from a product side, so product technology and, and lab is in testing. Um, like we had a very defined roadmap for the year. We knew exactly what we were going to do and we knew month by month uh, what features we were rolling out. And when COVID hit, just that all just got put aside. Um, we were in the fortunate position that We'd opened up our, our new lab facility uh, led by Sky, our CEO down there, and, and Michael and the guys, literally two, three months before um, everything hit. And we were focused on smaller blood sample sizes, looking at kind of routine chemistry tests using mass spec and a bunch of other ways of doing testing. And was obviously nobody expected this, but from our when it hit from the manufacturing side of the business, we 
had to change entirely everything we were manufacturing. We had to go and source swabs from all over the world and pull them in as quickly as possible. We were working around the clock for just months on end. And even on the lab side, um, we had to take equipment out. We had to bring new equipment in. We were trying to get reagents. So it's actually to run the instruments uh, from the our manufacturing providers. You'd have an order in, the reagent would disappear overnight. You'd be running to another manufacturer to get reagents. It, like, it, it was chaos. Um, trying to pull it all together and provide a service to the market because suddenly there was certain resources that were finite, but the entire world needed those resources at once. And that's down from swabs to the particular reagents to the kit manufacturing. Uh, we were fortunate enough that because we own our own supply chain end to end, we had a lot of what we needed. But um, nobody was prepared for it. Um, and it was definitely a case of scrambling quick to mobilize, to be able to really go out and help. Like, I, I think being in the position that we were in, we, you know, we, we just felt we had an obligation to help people and make sure that everyone got the testing they needed and the, the testing that we had available. We were putting that capacity into um, groups where we could be most impactful. So you know, as we did operationalize it and everyone across our, our organization just did a phenomenal job, like everyone just stepped up. We just couldn't give what we had to anybody. Like we had to make hard decisions. And we started by making our supplies and our testing capacity available for um, frontline healthcare workers, uh, vulnerable populations, uh, sick and elderly, um, people who were really at risk of, of COVID. It's say you could write a book about it um, if you look back, but it's it's still ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. The world or the time that we're in now, it, it is slightly different. Uh, I think resources aren't as scarce. Um, the conversation has changed to not just at-risk groups, but you know, how do we get the economy moving again and how do we support that from a testing perspective? How do we get kids back to school? How do we get students back to universities? And the scope of the testing and the scope that we can provide and support is much, much bigger. But we can support that because resources aren't as finite. And I, I think the market's caught up a bit. But it was a pretty incredible time. And um, But just something that we're, we're grateful that we could support and we were at the front line of it as opposed to having to sit on the sideline. And so, Peter, this is a bit of a leap, but it seems like this is, as a company, as a mission, uh, something that has impacted everyone, just like you said at the beginning, where we each have seen the results of a late test or someone catching something that should have been caught earlier. Is this really what the culture focuses on? Like, do you find that, you know, everyone that joins or a high percentage of them have been through this themselves? Is it something that, you know, you all talk a lot about that motivates the teams? I'm just curious to know how you're going about culture building with something that is, uh, yeah, you know, creating a problem and a solution for something that we all struggle with. Uh, what's that like as a leader who is, has to build culture around that? <laughs> like just on, a, on the business side, it's hard, you know, like when, when you go from like a hundred staff to 370 people, when we've more, even when nobody can meet face to face and everyone's uh, working remotely and trying to build a culture around that, like it, it's challenging, it's tough it is something that we're, we're always very focused on and making sure that, you know, that everyone understands the reason that this, this company was created and the, the good work that we can do. Um, but it is a challenge and it's a challenge for every company in the world. Um, how do you maintain a, a culture when people aren't together? 
And uh, the reality is that this is probably the new norm uh, and we just got to figure it out. You know, like the, there's all the obvious things that you do. You, you do your, your town halls and you do your get togethers and you do your board updates and all of it, which we're, we're continuing to do, but, um, and communicate the message that everyone who comes in understands why we created this company. But it is a challenge, like scaling this level to this extent um, in a pandemic where you can't look at each other. You can't, uh, you can't be in the same room as one another. So, but look, it, it's part of the challenge and uh, it's definitely something that we're, we're working on every day, like every other company in the world. Completely. And so when it comes to challenges or dark nights of the soul, what are some of the biggest ones that you faced as a leader at the company? Uh, are there any particular stories you like to tell? Yeah, like uh, I think, I, think this pro- I could probably tell a story about both of those. Uh, as a high growth company, when you're doing your, your series A and your series B, like the, there's, you really run it to the, the wire. Um, but I think you just have to be built that way and you have to protect your staff and make sure that, you know, you, you continue to push forward and it's all fine. But I think that's just part and parcel of high growth uh, companies. Uh, as you scale through these rounds and as you get into later rounds, things become more stable. Probably one of the, the most recent though, uh, I think probably around the regulatory piece was us doing our home use uh, approval, uh, our EUA with FDA for our COVID test. And it was just such a, a long drawn out process, but for the right reasons. Like FDA have to be very meticulous around everything that we offer. And they looked at our entire supply chain and our manufacturing processes. But like on one hand, you're like, people really need this test. Like this is something that we have loads of supplies, loads of capacity for, you know, there's literally people dying, but we have to go through this regulatory process before we can actually release it onto the market. And that was probably as frustrating a process as I've ever been in, but it was the right process. Like that's the way it has to be. But um, I think when you, you know, you'd look at the news and you'd read the stories and you'd hear of all the terrible things happening. Uh, you know, you've got the capability of getting more tests out there, but you're just, you can't. Um, and you're waiting for an approval to land. It was a, uh, it was a pretty painful process, but we, we had an amazing team that we just worked night and day. Um, round the clock, so little sleep um, to get that done. And we got it out. And when we got it out, it was a great success. Um, we were able to to provide this these tests that everyone needs. But uh, yeah, a very frustrating process, but um, hugely rewarding at the end as well. Uh, and totally understanding the, the need for these guardrails and the, the meticulous approach that FDA take to these things. But it was a hard time. Sure. Peter, I'm really curious about how you can talk and kind of share some of the successes that you're having as a company um, when it comes to such sensitive topics, right? So, you know, customers are obviously trusting you with privacy and with security, um, but at the same time, you as a company and your teams are helping them with, you know, major healthcare challenges. So how do you go about sharing some of the stories of what you're accomplishing as a company um, without, you know, making customers feel uncomfortable about, you know, details being shared? Uh, is it just as simple as anonymizing stories? Uh, are you able to talk about, you know, what you're achieving based on all the tests? Um, is there any data you can share at all? Uh, how do you walk that fine line? Yeah, like um, we invite our customers to um, to speak to things. Like some people just want to be entirely anonymous in a process. Um, and you absolutely have to respect that. 
Um, of course, like our job isn't to tell the world about all the great things we're doing. Our job is to help people. That's mission critical. Uh, us communicating the great stuff that we're doing is secondary. If our customers come to us and they, they feel that the impact that we've had and the support that we've given that they want to speak to it, we'll, we'll let them speak to it and we'll, we'll support that and help them amplify it. Um, but we, we typically don't probe our customers for uh, stories. We let them come to us. Um, it's not something that we would, we would actively do. Um, I suppose internally and externally, we, we communicate our success by, at the moment, it's very easy around COVID. You know, we, last month in July, we did, uh, I think, close to 300,000 uh, tests alone. Uh, and that's wow. continuing to grow. Um, each and every one of those tests matters. And there's a, an amazing outcome off the back of it. And uh, it's really just, we all feel good and it's, it's incredible for everyone in the company to, to focus on that and uh, see the, the impact we're having even on a, on a numbers basis. So, um, yeah, but I suppose back to your point, yeah, we, the most important thing is that we're super respectful of our, of our customers and protect their privacy and we would never poke them to, to want to speak further. It, it's totally on them to do so. Sure. So do any of your, you know, I'd imagine that a lot of your personal interests kind of align with the healthcare space and that when you get time off, you're kind of reading some about it, thinking about the future there. Are there any things when it comes to the future of health and medicine that you're particularly excited about, whether it's, you know, extending health spans, longevity research, anti-aging, uh, what type of things are you researching when you get some downtime? The most important part of that is the downtime part. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've three kids under three, so uh, when I'm not here, oh, same here, same here. That's a big challenge. It's chaos. <laughs> so, and yeah. um, I don't know, like uh, I think uh, some of the the work that you see coming out of out of Grail and these guys, particularly around some of the the cancer diagnostics, um, I find particularly interesting. I think longevity is a, a big buzzword. With many things can drive longevity, but I, I do find it particularly interesting the the work that these companies are doing. Rail so aptly named, um, but that would probably be the, the place that I would focus my, my time and attention the most um, because it can be the most impactful and take a hell of a lot of costs out of the healthcare system. The amount of costs that the impact on life that it can have, but the unnecessary healthcare expenditure that goes towards treating people for these late stages and they shouldn't be there in the first place. Yes. Yeah. The amount of time that we could collectively give back people impacted by cancer is you know, astonishing. If you think about if Grail achieves its mission, um, which they're doing at a rapid pace, it's uh, very exciting, very exciting to say the least. Yeah. So you mentioned your father, three children under three. Uh, I'm right there with you. I have three sons that are under three, one's two and a half. The others are twins. They're six months. <laughs> so P Peter, help me out. What's the secret? There is no secret. Great wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, I, I didn't get hit with twins. Um, so, <laughs> so when it comes to that, you know, family life and balancing everything, uh, how are you integrating things? How are you thinking about um, keeping everything on the up and up? The last six months, it's uh, it's it's definitely difficult. I turned around probably three months into COVID breaking, and you know, realized another newborn. <laughs> so it was um, sure, it, yeah, like it, it's it's difficult, but you just got to find the time. Um, I think you know things are we're stabilizing as a business now and things are becoming more, it's more in our stride um, to be doing these huge volumes and at scale and 
we just had to adapt processes and it just required a, a huge amount of time and attention. But I think ultimately I'd have an amazing wife who would uh, totally understands the vision of the business and to have, you know, a partner that supports that uh, is pretty critical if you're you're operating this way. You know, and I think everyone knows, you, you just got to find the time as well. So um, I think we're getting better at that. Sure. When it comes to the future of the company, uh, what's your vision? Is there anything you can share in terms of, is this, is Let's Get Checked a publicly traded company soon? Hopefully, is it, is that the route you're going or is there another route you're thinking about? I think ultimately, you know, to, to do an IPO, um, a lot of things have to align and ultimately it might not be the right thing for the company. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of variables between um, here and there and, uh, you know, staying private might actually just be the right thing. But I think what, what we do have control of is what we want the business to evolve into. Um, and there's just so much, so much stuff that we're, we're developing and we're going to be releasing soon around, you know, not just a diagnostics platform, but a whole encompassing consumer health platform and leveraging more of our telehealth offering and our e-prescribing and more sophisticated around the diagnostics and using genetics as a companion with the routine diagnostic. And there's just so much that we can do and so much ahead of us. And it's just really exciting to be at this stage of the business um, where we can really move on and be even more impactful for, uh, for our customer base. Right. Well, Peter, thank you for being generous with your time. This is exciting stuff. It's a critical mission for the future, for everyone that's listening. Is there a final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with, whether it's a thought challenge or a call to action? Uh, what's your final thought here? I'm terrible at those questions, so I don't have a final thought. But thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. So thank you. Fantastic. Peter, thanks for joining us. And everyone listening, we'll see you next time. I'm Sophia Bush, and you've been listening to Hidden in Plain Sight from Mission.org. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Splunk, the data to everything platform. In today's data-driven world, every company, big or small, new or old, is sitting on terabytes of unused, untapped, and unknown data. Splunk helps turn all that data into action. Using cutting-edge AI and machine learning, Splunk delivers real-time predictive insights that will help you on your mission to change the world. With solutions for IT, security, Internet of Things, and business operations, Splunk empowers people to make faster, better decisions and take action to get things done. It's time for our data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Check it out at Splunk.com.